This is the Business Storytelling Show with Christoph Trapp. Name a top 20 storytelling podcast and a top 5% podcast globally. Christoph chats with thought leaders and experts to share tips and tricks that can help you tell your company's stories better to drive business results. Available wherever you listen to podcasts, live streamed on major social media channels, and part of the DB&A television network, available on most U.S. television sets and streaming on Roku and Amazon Fire. Here's Christoph with today's episode. Let's go. Let's go, business storytellers. Hey, how's everyone doing? We're getting close to 500 episodes and people are still tuning in. That is fantastic to see um, in all the different channels. Of course, we are live once again. Now, while this is all about multimedia here, there is still a place in today's world when it comes to B2B trade publications. And if some of you may not have known this, but I actually led three B2B trade publications before when I was the chief content officer at Staymates Communications, a 100-year-old um, firm. And um, the funny story is, this is how they started in B2B um, publishing. During World War II, they were an agency and they didn't have any paper. And the CEO at the time said, who has paper? Magazines did. So they bought Buildings Media, buildings.com today. Back then, there was no website, obviously. And that's how they got paper. And today, they still own three B2B publications, as far as I know. They did it when I worked there a couple of years ago. Uh, I think that's still the case today. Now, why should any brand worry about B2B publications? What should we do? Should we send them content? Should we reach out to them? How does that look? So... I ask an expert on the topic, Megan Horn. She's a copywriter, B2B copywriting expert based here in Iowa with me, not too far away on today's episode to find out what can we do? When does it make sense? When doesn't it make sense? What do we consider? Megan, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Christoph. Yeah. Oh, we got to explode. Well, that's that is anybody's personal style how they do it. Some people go like this. I haven't gotten into that After. quite yet. A lot but of flourish. A lot, right? Um, so, so tell us why do you focus on B two B trade publications? Why is that one of your specialties? And and what should people even consider? Does it make sense for them to to work with them? Yeah. So, as with a lot of stuff in marketing, the answer is it depends. Uh, that is so. So we talk a lot about how, um, you know, last couple of years, print is dying and maybe the actual physical print magazine is, you know, has certainly slowed down. But a lot of these uh, industry publications are still doing great things. So in, when you think about really niche industries, I mean, agriculture is chock full of them. Healthcare has so many. Um, there are those niche publications, finance, there are a ton where these publications are ingrained in the industry and have the connections and the expertise, and they're still putting out quality content on the industries. And it's a great way, you know, PR is great from getting on podcasts and new media, but it's also good to think about the traditional media who often do have the uh, digital media as well. They often have their own podcasts. And so when you build the relationships with those publications and do what you can do to help give them stories to tell that, yes, include you, but are good stories for their readers. 
you can use their built-in audience because if your audience is CFOs, they may have a built-in audience of CFOs, you know, CFOs at egg companies or whoever your niche audience is, there are likely publications. Some clients I worked with, there are five really great publications that we work with and do a couple stories each per year. There are industries where there are 20, 30 publications that we can cycle through. Um, so the PR standpoint from those traditional storytelling standpoints are absolutely still in play for B2B companies. When you have a niche audience, you can tap into somebody else's audience and really take advantage of that. Absolutely. And and I know, I mean, even for myself, when it comes to this podcast, you know, I'm always looking for topics. Now, I, I'm not going to say I need anything tomorrow, right? Or, I mean, I don't even have any openings. I think you and I scheduled this a long time ago, right? Months. I mean, it's been months. January. Um, January, maybe even Ish. earlier, but, Possibly. you know, pr pretty, pretty uh, a while back. Um, so it's not like I have the pressure to necessarily produce something every day or do something every day. But I know when you are in, in the publication business, there is a certain amount of pressure to have a certain amount of content, right or wrong, right? Absolutely. And a lot of these uh, have gone the way of traditional media where uh, staff is getting cut. Um, they're working with really uh, small amounts of writers, often doing a lot of freelance, bringing on. So if you can hand them a story, hand them either an interview for a story that they write or a good solid story and editorial contribution, they can really use that. And it's not about being, well, I know what they need. It's about, uh, you know, talk to the editors, say, what kind of topics are you looking for? You know, I've, I've read your publication for years, months, whatever it is, make sure to read the publication before you pitch them uh, and ask them what kind of content they need. Where are some of their gaps? How can your experts help fill that content? Do they prefer paragraph long pitches that they then take and work with the experts directly? Do they want full-blown contributor stories with bio and photo? What kind of things are they looking for? What do they want? What will help them do their job better? And if you're able to help them there, because uh, some of the, the publications have a different type of landscape where it could be like where they own three different publications and they're doing those three different niches and it's one company. Some big B2B publication companies own 20, 30, you know, anything like Meredith, they own how many publications? Uh, some of them are just two or three people really passionate about the industry and working on putting out great content. Those different types of publications will need different types of information from you. And in the article that you wrote on this topic on MeganHorn.com, check out that site. Lots of lots of valuable information. You do break down those different um, type of companies. So it is good to know. Um, you know, when you talk about um, every team is being cut back and whatever, and and I'm with you, I've seen that in journalism since I left traditional journalism in about 20, 2007, 2007, I think journalism jobs, 50% of journalism jobs have disappeared. So that is kind of crazy to think about that. Uh, with that being said, though, I don't think any team ever has enough people to begin with. I mean, I've worked with large teams and there's always something else that could be done. There's another article that could be written. There's another analysis that could be done. There's another pitch that could be done. So, you know, I, I find that interesting too. Now, how do you build these relationships with B2B publications? And how do you know, not to be too transactional about it here, 
But how do you know what relationship to go after? How do you know that this is somebody you want to work with and, and partner with? Like, how do you uh, how, how do you know they have a good audience? How do you know they're uh, they're the right partner just because they've been around? Or, or what do you recommend? Sure. So I rely a lot on their media kits. Uh, so any B2B publication pretty much is going to have a media kit. A lot of time the media kit is targeted toward the advertising, the paid advertising side of things. But it's also the publication selling itself. So it will tell you a lot about who its audience is, how big the audience is. Sometimes they don't uh, always include those numbers, but now they're including both, you know, print distribution as well as uh, website hits, you know, what average stories get, what their website traffic looks like, um, what the demographics, at least as far as they can tell, are. Uh, so you can look a lot from the media kit. And then you can look at um, to identify kind of if it's a publication that's part of a bigger conglomerate, uh, you know, group of publications. Usually those will be along the top or you can look in the footer to identify that. And then the other thing I look for is if you uh, send a pitch and they immediately respond with, well, let me send you to our ad department. You can pay to put an editorial here. You can make that decision if you want to, but from my experience, the I call it pay to play. So you pay to have the editorial in there. That is fine. That works for some people's strategies. It's very much on the advertising side of things versus the PR side of things. Um, a lot of times the editorial strategy and the ad strategy work together. But for me, I prefer publications that have a separate editorial strategy and advertising strategy. And so I'm able, just from experience, usually to tell that from the website, from the first reaction I get from the editor, from the publisher, whoever I'm talking to, uh, to know if they have a separation there from the advertising side and the editorial side. Because I want to work with a true editorial side where they are telling stories, they're uh, doing that unbiased information, um, doing their own research usually, and not just expecting a pay-to-play, you know, copy-paste put in any, anytime somebody will give them 500 bucks to put it in there. So those are a couple of things that I personally look for when I'm working with clients and what publications to pick and to prioritize. Yeah, it's very interesting, especially uh, pay to play certainly is out there. Um, the biggest problem I've seen with pay to play is just because companies are not paying for the placement, the content sometimes doesn't necessarily, it's not, it doesn't stay as, organic as it could be right it's a little bit more tilted promotional whatever it might be and, and, and let's readers be honest, can spot that readers can spot that they, they can and uh, but you know let's be honest i mean if you're a, a content writer for your company even if you write a really informational piece i mean certainly there is a reason why you write that piece right there is a business reason so it's not just i mean it's not just because you're true journalists and you wanted to share this information um, so there is a business reason. Now, let's talk about pitching a little bit. And I I was trying to think when the last time I pitched something to a B2B publication, I think it was earlier this year. And I really just said, you know, I just did this, just did this podcast wrapping up the year. And here's like seven stories that I think uh, might be of interest to discuss. I just listed them all, one one paragraph, maybe even a sentence for each. And then they said, oh, this is these are really good options. Uh, could we have this one and this one and this one? And I think they wanted like three articles out of the seven. Um, so that worked for me that one time. But what other strategies work? What would you recommend when you when uh, 
when people pitch B2B publishers? Sure. So the my starting place is almost always the editorial calendar for the publication. So within the media kit, often they will have an editorial calendar, and that will be um, a list of all the planned publications for the year. And again, a lot of them are mixing the traditional and the online. So um, looking at, you know, maybe their January, February issue is talking about, uh, you know, healthcare tech. Maybe March, April is talking about healthcare finance. Uh, so what you can do is go through and look at those topics and identify where your stories fit in with those topics. And if you're doing that ahead of time, you can email them, you know, a couple months ahead of an editorial deadline and say, uh, you know, this is what we do. We have this angle. We think this type of story. I love case studies personally for this approach, because then you're not doing that, you know, pay to play me, me, me. It's all about me. You're highlighting one of your customers and how you're helping them which usually ends up resonating with the reader because the reader wants to know what other companies in their industry are doing, what's working, what's not working, who they're getting help from. And so case study stories are amazingly powerful. So if you can go to an editor and say, I see you have this topic coming up in, you know, so it's April. So if we look at June, I see this is the topic for June. Your editorial deadline is end of May. Um, I have a client who's willing to share their story we can do it in a couple of ways. You know, one, I can connect you directly with the client and directly with, uh, you know, our VP of tech or whatever it may be. Um, another option would be I can send you bullet points. Uh, you can send over questions. I can work with the subject matter expert and the client to answer those questions, send those back in writing. Three, we can write the story, you know, either as a con contributor article or we can do a first draft and you can take it from there. So that's usually how I approach pitches. And then I do a very individualized pitch approach. So getting, I mean, one story a month for most clients is a really solid start. We're not sending out the same story to 20 different publications because that also tarnishes the value of that to the publication and then to the reader. So a lot of times I'll say, you know, hey, I'm giving you first dibs on this. Do you want it? Do you think it has a space for your readers? I think it's valuable based on my relationship with you or based on what I've read. Um, do you want this? You know, I can make it an exclusive for at least three months uh, before we put it on our website, before we start sharing with other publications. Are you interested? And so that helps give then the person on the other end reason to accept that story. They know that they're not going to get the same thing that the their 10 competitors are getting, you know, in the same month that they're running the same content, that would be embarrassing for them. And you don't want to do that. That would hurt your relationship with them. So I take a very individualized approach to pitching. Having said that, if there's a big product release or truly those news happenings, that's where a press release can come into play. And then for your top publications, you say, you know, here's the press release, here's our canned press release. But for you guys, because we work together, because I love your audience, I love what you do, I'm willing to offer you an interview with CEO, CFO, whatever the, whoever the subject matter expert is, offer them that one-on-one -on -one interview, and then they can take the press release and build their own, own story on top of it, which is going to be more value for you. It's going to be more value for um, the publication because uh, you're mixing you know, a fresh story with a press release. 
Um, and don't expect that on press releases. A lot of times press releases go right into the business briefs and that's okay. That's great. This is a storytelling podcast. You have to tell stories to get uh, publications to cover you. What story are you telling? It can't just be, we made this cool new thing. Who's using it? What are they doing with it? Why does it matter? You know, it's that old what's in it for me aspect. It, all, all those same things we know about storytelling, marketing, come into this, you know, more traditional strategy. The, in, in other words, rephrasing, Megan, right? Um, the story can just be once upon a time, there was a product. <laughs> and let me tell about the product. It has to go way, way deeper than that. And then, of course, we also have related content, related stories, you know, about the topics that your consumers care about and that aren't necessarily talking about your product at all. You know, the one thing, I mean, many things came to my mind as you were talking, but one thing that really stuck out to me is it depends on the goal too, right? What are you trying to accomplish? So for example, um, let's say I'm, I have a link building strategy and I have and, and a publication picked up my story or quoted me or whatever, and now I have a link back from them. Right. So I get that SEO juice, very technical term here. Um, and I, I, I still I like print. I mean, overall, you know, I think print has some issues because the font seems to be getting smaller and smaller every time I open anything in print, print magazines, uh, print newspapers, or maybe I'm just getting old. But I think print is interesting, too, and certainly can be part of it. But it's a different goal. Right. I'm not going to get a link from the print publication but I get a link from the website. Once I have a link from a website though, I wonder how much value there is to get a lot more links. Now, if they send you a ton of traffic every time, certainly it's worth it, but it's really, if it's only for SEO purposes, more than one link might not even matter. You know, how do I decide how often to pitch to a publication and what should, what should your goal be? Um, like when you report internally, what, what should the goal be that you're talking about when you get picked up? Yeah. So unlike some of the more digital strategies, this is a traditional strategy that has um, another blog post on my site is measuring direct metrics uh, versus uh, indirect metrics. So direct metrics are somebody clicked and they bought. Great. ROI, easy to cover. Um, these more traditional methods rely on more of the awareness metrics. Uh, how many potential eyeballs did we get? How many phone calls did we get? So normally with my PR strategy, we are covering some of those glamour metrics, like how many uh, uh, stories did we get? Again, kind of one uh, story a month is a really great goal because it's uh, quality over quantity in these cases. Uh, so looking at number of publications, certainly looking at clicks from the website. But for me, the the links, yes, you get one link and that is great. You know, I'll definitely always ask the editor to include a link back to the website. But for the most part, I don't want content with a bunch of backlinks because to me that automatically screams sales. So if you're looking at most true editorial content, most of them, they're linking to other stories within their own website that may be related. Uh, but rarely are they linking to some product website off the news site. Uh, so for backlinks, it's actually not, I don't include a lot of backlinks in the stories just because that is not one of the goals of this approach. This approach is really a long-term, it's a long game. Um, you know, give it six months minimum to build this up. 
um, you can ask the publication for their website stats, but a lot of them aren't going to give that to you. Yeah. Um, so the biggest key that I see is people picking up the phone and calling again, old school or submitting a form or when you're in a conference saying, oh, I read your article in such and such. Um, yeah. Oh, I saw you did the publication with that. I didn't know you were working with uh, X, Y, Z. How cool. And if it's a case study, often the client's client, my client's client, the end customer that we're talking about will also get calls. You know, they get free PR from this, even if it's not necessarily their target audience. But even they'll get comments that say, hey, I read what you're doing. That, you know, that's so cool. How do I go about uh, connecting with that company? You know, do you like it? Is it legit? Was the story, you know, pretty accurate? So those are my goals. They're much longer term, uh, mm -hmm. much more uh, indirect, and which makes the volume much less important. So not pitching 10 stories per month to the, even 10 stories per year to the same publication. Uh, most frequent, probably three to four per year to any publication would be a really high volume because they don't want to play favorites because that tarnishes their yeah. reputation. And yeah. so keeping that low volume um, to keep that quality and that relationship and really those editorial standards as high as possible. What's interesting about, to me about that comment is it really truly depends on your goal, right? So if your goal is truly PR in the traditional sense, the other stuff isn't that important, right? M most of my content is part of an SEO strategy, right? So I do want links, not necessarily to the product page, but some other articles I would like to um, I would like to uh, rank with, uh, but not a ton, right? Like one one link an article, or maybe two, depending on depending what the topic is. And then the other thing you mentioned, direct sales, which. Most top of the funnel content, my friends, you're not going to get sales today, right? There, It's a long-term play. So you want to be very cognizant of what the goal is. Um, if you're trying to drive people at the bottom of the funnel, run an ad, you know, or run an email campaign with a direct offer. Now, we talked a lot about write, uh, writing and reading. I mean, you referred to the reader. So did I. Um, I know all, uh, some of these B2B publications at Staymates, for example, you know, we did VR video, we did uh, podcasts. They still do podcasts today. Podcast is one of the stickiest content projects I think I've done in the last eight years. You know what I mean? Like uh, you get somebody to start blogging and the second you're done with them, they stop. Uh, you get somebody to do on Twitter and the second you stop with them, they stop. But blog, uh, but podcasting has really stuck, it seems like. A lot of companies I help help with that they're still doing it to this day what other content assets to in addition to writing would you recommend and, and what have you seen work there great question yeah podcast is such a good promotion method and everything you've done with your setup with yes getting those backlinks just putting out stories and then using each individual story in so many different ways uh that content reuse big fan of that again within the editorial strategy based on what promises you make for exclusivity but these trade publications are they're having to pivot as well so if you research a lot of them a lot of them do have podcasts a lot of them do webinars a lot of them have emails uh you know email newsletters uh because they're having to adapt as well they have social channels um so when you get a story in there you can also say you know would you like to book our vp of xyz on for an upcoming podcast episode um, so you can take those same, I mean, to me, the uh, strategies behind podcast pitching, 
Like you see a lot of those companies now that are just doing podcast placement, podcast pitching. A lot of it is an SEO play, but a lot of those say there's a lot of crossover between PR and the, I call it podcast PR. Like you're putting yourself out there as an expert, as a thought leader. And so anything you think of from those newer mediums um, are also relevant to the traditional ones. So I do love the traditional companies that have uh, added a podcast or even a couple of podcasts uh, where they do webinars. Watch out. Some webinars are pay to play. Make that decision, uh, you know, again, based on your goals. Uh, they're putting out white papers and downloads and other types of content. So they're building their own content strategy. And so you can play in the different types of content that they're creating already to get yourself out there. Podcasts are great. If, if the publications you're working with have a podcast, absolutely work that into your strategy. Well, and I think the other thing I like about podcasts, it shows the human side of a company, right? Because I mean, us talking here for 27 minutes, people might say, oh, you know, I like Christoph's interview style, or they say, this guy is ridiculous, you know? I mean, who wants to listen to him um, for 27 minutes? And that's that's why I have guests on like you now um, who can actually share some value. Now, MeganHorn.com, you can check her out there in the last minute or so. I did not ask her ahead of time if she even has any openings. I don't know. She might be completely full no new patients accepted, so to speak. Megan, tell us, how do people work with you? When do they reach out? Uh, and of course, they can reach you at MeganHorn.com, I assume. Correct, MeganHorn.com. And then I'm most active on LinkedIn. Um, I actually run a lot of my strategies that I run for clients for myself, just at a, a much lower uh, frequency. Um, so I am an independent contractor, so I'm just me. Uh, so the companies that tend to hire me and I have some play with capacity right now. Um, again, these are long-term strategies. I like to work with clients for a long time. The clients that I tend to work best with are those B2B companies and in fairly technical industries. So when you're in a technical industry, it's really hard to find a writer, an external writer who can really grasp the industry. And I'm able to do that relatively quickly. I like to talk to your subject matter experts. I mean, your engineers, your developers. That's who I've worked with for my whole career. Uh, so people in those technical B2B spaces. And then we work on content, mostly written content from blogs, emails, LinkedIn, and the PR side of things. Um, it's a little kind of hub and spoke strategy that's really focused for B2B companies in these niche industries to get them kind of that starter level content strategy where you're not putting out a blog every single day. Two a month is great for most B2B companies. Um, so companies that need that kind of starter content, haven't been able to ramp it up internally, need somebody curious who likes to learn, who can write, who can write good, no, who can write well um, and grasp these topics and continue to learn over time. So once I'm working with a client for a year, I want to be able to speak their language. Right. Fantastic. Thanks for joining us, Megan. Check her out at MeganHorn.com. That's a wrap. Thanks for tuning in. Please rate and review our show on your favorite podcast channels. And don't forget to share this episode with your networks. We appreciate you. Until next time, let the best stories win. Mm -hmm.